some people love to run. They get up every morning, planning their day around when they'll get the run in. The growing warmth of spring, the grueling heat of summer, cool breezes of autumn, and even the frigid temperatures of winter, they're out there pounding the pavement. They thrive on the feeling of the wind in their face. Joy is shaking her head no. <laughs> the rapid heartbeat, the air exchange in their lungs, the muscles in their legs contracting and relaxing over and over again. They think it's exhilarating and they love it. So they do it. Day in and day out. Seasons come and the seasons go and they're still out there running. So raise your hand if I just described you. Anybody? Nobody? Well, I would contend that everybody in this room, if you are in Christ, you are a runner. Yay! The author of the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, verse 1, exhorts each of us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, as a side note, I forgot to mention, your notebooks that were in your bag, um, they're pretty extensive, and I did that on purpose. There's a lot of just fill in the blank and some extra room for you to take notes. But I'm hoping that when the retreat is over, um, that you'll keep those and maybe down the road if you find yourself in a time where you need to be reminded of your need to endure that you'll be able to go back to these and kind of trace back the things that we talked about and what we went through the author of Hebrews uses the metaphor of a race not a walk around the park a walk around the park is usually purely for pleasure you can take a stroll at whatever pace you like to. You can stop to smell the flowers or even hang out on the playground equipment for a while if you want to do that. But a race is paced. It's measured. It's purposed. It is a constant effort from start to finish. As believers, we are called to participate in a great race, a spiritual race. The author of Hebrews calls it the race that is set before us, and that race is the Christian life. It isn't necessarily an easy race, but the encouragement for us in God's word is that we run this race with endurance. This idea of endurance and, en and enduring is what I want us to focus on these next few days. There are many words and phrases that are used throughout Scripture to address this idea. Um, there's a list in the back of your book of some of the ones that are used in the New Testament, and along with corresponding verses for each of those words or phrases. But there are words like, uh, well, and let me say too, that list is not uh, exhaustive. So some in there, you'll get more in Scripture. Bless you. The list includes words like persevere, hold fast, continue, be steadfast, be patient. That might be a good one for some of us. There's also do not lose heart, remain, do not grow weary. Somebody said something, I didn't even enjoy you said that earlier. Stand firm, press on, be faithful, persist. And there are likely many more as well, but those are some of the big ones. We see these admonitions over and over again in God's word. Why do you think that is? Because we have a tendency to quit when something we think is better comes along. Or we quit when we get bored. Or we quit when life just gets hard. We can also be led astray when we don't cling tightly to what we know to be true. Why, <coughs> excuse me, are we exhorted over and over again to endure? <coughs> because maybe we won't. 
This is my concern and why God, what God has impressed <clears throat> on my heart time and again in the last two years, which in many ways have been the hardest of my life, but I hesitate to say that. Um, on top of personal hardships, my husband and I have been really grieved to watch a number of our friends, um, friends our age, who after 30 years of professing Christ have walked away from their marriages and their faith. And these are people who, for most of those years, they appeared to be genuine followers of Christ. I mean, really involved in their churches and um, just gave the appearance of being, being strong believers. But we see examples of this even in the early church. Um, turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. In this letter, Paul is warning Timothy of false teachers and the risks of abandoning the truth of the gospel for any other doctrine. 1 Timothy 1.20 says, By rejecting this, and this is the truth of the gospel, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, who I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Hymenaeus and Alexander had rejected the truth, and they had made a disaster of their faith. Now, flip over a couple more pages to 2 Timothy chapter 2. In the second letter to Timothy, here in chapter 2, Paul is warning him that mishandling God's truth can lead to false teaching. And beginning in verse 15, Paul says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So here we have a new name thrown into the mix with Hymenaeus and, and uh, Alexander, who were spoken of in 1 Timothy, and that is Philetus. In this passage, Paul calls out Hymenaeus and Philetus as two men in the church whose heretical words were spreading like cancer. They were denying the bodily resurrection of believers, and by doing so, Paul says they were upsetting the faith of some of the others in the church. Um, throughout uh, our talks this weekend, uh, I will share some of the Greek words behind some of the things we're going to talk about because I think it adds sometimes to our understanding, and in these cases, I, I think it's very helpful. The Greek word here for upsetting in that verse actually means to overthrow or to destroy. So these men had rejected God's truth, and they were causing others to do so as well. But at one time, these men had appeared to be faithful members of the body of Christ, likely even elders within the church. So how did it come to this? How did these men end up outside the church? Well, Paul tells us right there in verse 18 how it happened. He says they have swerved from the truth. They failed to cling to what they knew to be true, and they began to believe and teach a lie. They deserted the truth of the gospel. They are an, exam are an example of not persevering. They did not endure. Now, I want to be clear from the outset here that I am not saying that these men or that my friends that I spoke about lost their salvation. It is my conviction that Scripture teaches that once we are saved, we can never lose that salvation. 
Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is faithful, and he will complete the work that he has begun in each of us. And we're going to talk more about that in our last session on Saturday morning. But John, the Apostle John, in his first epistle tells us that there were some who went out from us, out from the church, because they were not of us. He said if they truly had been part of us, they would have remained with us. Here's the thing about true saving faith. It will be evidenced by continuing and growing faithfulness to Christ. True saving faith will persevere. And that's what we don't see here with Alexander and Hymenaeus and Philetus. Now, to be fair, we don't know the end of the story for these men. Did they confess and repent? Maybe. The story isn't finished for my friends either. Will they return to their first love, as scripture says? I don't know. I hope so. I hope they do. Um, but we do know, like John did, that there will be some in the church who are not really of us. And they won't endure to the end. And that is my great concern for each one of us because none of us are immune to the deceitfulness of our own hearts. These next couple of days, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Hebrews. So I think it's important from the outset that we note a couple of things. Um, first of all, Hebrews is a letter. So who wrote this letter? We could spend days hashing through that. But Sarah's looking at me like, are you going to tell us? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to tell you. We don't know. <laughs> um, nobody knows for sure. We'll leave it at that. Um, so throughout the next few days, I will simply refer to him as the author or writer of Hebrews. I felt like giving him a make-up make name because it's shorter. It's easier. We'll call him Ed. <laughs> and second, who was the original letter of Hebrews written to? was well, generally believed that it was written to Jewish Christians. If you read through the entire letter of Hebrews, it becomes apparent that the author understood that perhaps there were some within the church, even then, who weren't really of the church. He repeatedly encourages them toward a genuine repentance before God and not a reliance on things of the law. He shows again and again throughout the letter that Christ is the supreme satisfaction for the believer in all things. So he encourages them to persevere in a genuine, sincere faith. But maybe some only thought they were saved. They believed themselves to be saved when in actuality they were trusting in the law and not a genuine faith and reliance on Christ. That is a dangerous place to be. And in the end, those are the ones who will not endure. My goal for this weekend is not to make us question our faith, although self-reflection from time to time isn't necessarily a bad thing. But my goal is to encourage all of us to persevere, to run, as Paul says, so as to win. To give evidence to our faith by enduring to the finish line of this race that has been set before us. There have been times in these last couple of years that my emotions in the moment said, I quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard. I'm tired. And God's response to me in those moments, and to you, if you've ever felt that way, or if you ever in the future find yourself feeling that way, God's response is in Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to flip over there, I'll try not to have you guys flipping back and forth too much, but some of these I really want you to look at. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 35, the writer of Hebrews 
writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, says, Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, that's Jesus, and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. Elaine, does that sound familiar? And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So it says it pretty plain right there. We have need of endurance. We, all of us who are in Christ. This life (laughs) is not easy. Jesus never said it would be. He told us up front that we could expect trouble, trials, and tribulation in this world. We have need of endurance. And that persistence in the end will reveal that our profession of faith was real. Jesus said in Luke 21, 19, By your endurance you will gain your lives. And Paul told Timothy in his second letter to him, If we endure, we will also reign with him. Our perseverance will lead to eternal life with Christ, the culmination of our hope in this life. We have need of endurance. To run with endurance requires perseverance. Daily, moment-by-moment faithfulness to God. Our culture does not help us with this discipline of perseverance. We have this I-can-have-it-now mentality, and it's pervasive in every aspect of life. We have uh, not-so-smartphones, microwaves, Instapots, um, air fryers, fast food... Amazon's next day delivery. I mean, we don't have to wait for much of anything anymore. And when we do, like at a stoplight or waiting in line for something or waiting on medical tests, we don't like it. And we quickly become frustrated and angry. We are an impatient people. And yet God calls us to persevere in faithfulness to him. Jesus said in Matthew 10.22, The one who endures to the end will be saved. That's actually the parallel passage to the one I read a little bit ago, Luke 21.19. By your endurance you will gain your lives. But just as a marathon runner's perseverance will result in them finishing the race that they run, our perseverance will result in us being able to cross the finish line of our race one day. And then, when we do cross that finish line, we'll be able to say like Paul did in 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He goes on to say, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Just after Paul made that statement, we find another example of one who, it appears, went out from us because he was not really of us. Jerry Bridges writes, Paul was confident that he had endured to the end and had finished well. Sadly, however, just a few sentences later, he had to write of one of his co-workers. This is what Paul wrote. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. That's 2 Timothy 4.10. Bridges goes on to say, Here are two men who administered together. 
Paul and Demas, mentor and mentoree. One endured and finished the race and looked forward to the crown of righteousness. The other man peeled off, deserted his mentor, and was never heard from again. Bridges says, we don't know what finally happened to Demas. We don't know whether he ever repented or not. But the scripture ends with the fact that Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. In Philemon 24, Paul had called Demas a fellow worker, along with Mark, Aristarchus, and Luke. At that point, Demas appeared to be a faithful young man with a promising future working right alongside Paul, one of Paul's closest companions at that time. And yet, as far as we can see from what we have in Scripture, he didn't make it to the end. In 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul says to Timothy, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. The in season and out of season there means when it's convenient and when it's not. And this is the gist of true faithfulness. It's persistence or perseverance when it's convenient and even when it's not. So whatever season we find ourselves in this side of heaven, God calls us to be faithful. It's not optional for true believers in Christ. Perseverance in Christ is our daily work. A steadfast and firm grip on the gospel is God's charge to us. When our schedules are full, when our trials are many, and even and especially when our days are just mundane and boring. Let's hear it for boring. (laughs) I want to be clear about what I'm saying. Um, Perseverance, endurance, doesn't save us. It is an evidence or a proof that we have been saved. In the tote bags you all received today when you arrived, I included a book by Glenna Marshall entitled Everyday Faithfulness. I meant to have one out here, but I don't have it handy. This book has been a great encouragement to me over this last year, and it is my gift to each one of you. It's an easy read, um, and I'm hoping that all of you will take the time to read it as a follow-up to this retreat. I think you may find yourselves going back to it time and again um, as you encounter various seasons in your own run with Christ. In Everyday Faithfulness, Marshall writes, Perseverance reveals the fruit of true saving faith. It is both an exercise of genuine faith and the evidence of it. Perseverance doesn't save us, but it reveals that we have been saved. Faithfulness is an everyday calling. It's getting up every single day, believing that God is your treasure, that the gospel of Jesus is worth your every breath, and that he is enough. Faithfulness is doing this again tomorrow and the next day, And ten years from now, faithfulness is ordinary. It's unremarkable. It plods. It is also precious in the sight of God who works out lifelong, sanctifying perseverance in your life for your good and his glory. The plodding may last for a lifetime, but the glory will last forever. Many of us I know from talking to you, long to follow Jesus more closely. But we're more focused on our present circumstances than on a long view of faithfulness. Uh, Some of you went through Lisa Whittle's book, Jesus Over Everything, with us last year. And you might remember her speaking about our steadiness in running this race. She said that steadiness develops within us as the result of two things immediate obedience and long obedience. She writes that immediate obedience is the instant yes to Jesus no matter what. 
And long obedience is the enduring yes to Jesus, no matter what. Eugene Peterson wrote a book on this idea of perseverance. He fittingly called it a long obedience in the same direction. In that book, he writes about discipleship in a society that's used to getting everything almost instantly. He says, It is not difficult in such a world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It is terrifically difficult to sustain that interest. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians call holiness. This long apprenticeship in holiness is what perseverance is. We're in this for the long haul. In season and out of season, when it's convenient and when it's not. That is the attitude that we must have if we are going to endure in this life. Our focus within scripture for this weekend will be Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And in the rest of this first session, we're going to explore exactly which race it is that we're called to run. And then tomorrow morning in session 2, we'll examine the motivation and encouragement that we have to look to along the route. Session 3 will help us to suit up appropriately for the race. Long distance running requires discipline, so in session 4 tomorrow evening, we'll look at some of the disciplines that can help us to persevere in our race. And then Saturday morning, our final session together, we'll focus on how it is that we can persevere and why we must. So if you would, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Over the next couple of days, we're going to pick these verses apart, but we're not going to do it in the order that they come. So we're going to start tonight at the end of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Here in the rest of this session, I want to look at which race it is that we are supposed to be running with endurance. In Matthew chapter 25, a part of scripture known as the Olivet Discourse, because it occurred on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, Jesus spoke a number of parables to his disciples, and one of them was the parable of the ten virgins. In that parable, Jesus tells of ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. He said that five of the virgins were foolish, and five of them were wise. The foolish ones hadn't thought ahead. They took no extra oil for, oil for their lamps. They weren't really thinking about how long it might take for the bridegroom to arrive, so they weren't prepared. By contrast, the wise virgins had thought ahead, and they had prepared well. They had taken extra oil to keep their lamps burning. But due to the lack of preparation on the part of the foolish virgins, they had to go and buy oil for their lamps, and they were gone when the bridegroom arrived. So when they returned, they knocked on the door. They wanted to be let in, and the bridegroom responded to them with these words, Truly, I do not know you. God does not call us 
to lay around in comfort and leisure, unprepared for the future. He calls us to train. He calls us to prepare. He calls us to be ready. He calls us to run, according to the author of Hebrews. He calls us to run a race. He calls us to focus on the end goal and to do what is necessary to prepare and to train and to persevere in a race that he designates. Even if we have never physically run a day in our lives, the moment we come to Christ, we enter the race and we become runners. This race will likely be long and parts of it will be hard. But to stand still or to go backward, which seems tempting at times, is not an option. We would forfeit the prize. We're still, if we remain on the sidelines and never even enter the race, we're not even eligible for the prize. The Greek word here for race is agona. It means an agonizing struggle, conflict, or contest. It's the root that we get our word agony from, which should tell us something about this race. The author of Hebrews uses an athletic metaphor here, and he likely draws this from his knowledge of the Greek games that were really popular in those days. Scholars believe that in those games, the foot race was one of the longest and most significant events. It was not a short sprint where speed was important, but a lengthy race where endurance was essential to crossing the finish line. Each of us is in a race, a race for our very lives. And as I said earlier, this life isn't easy. I probably don't have to tell any of you that. It's not news to any of us. But God never gave us a promise that it would be. He never said this life would be without trouble. And in fact, at times it can be quite agonizing. But those hurdles that we come to shouldn't be a surprise to us. They shouldn't catch us off guard because Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3.12 that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. And Peter said that we shouldn't be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon us to test us as though something strange were happening to us. We've been warned. We should know to expect hard times. There will be things along the course of our race that are difficult, that threaten to trip us up. Things like broken relationships, parental difficulties, health issues, things that don't seem fair to us, doubts, and even just the dull humdrum of everyday life in a fallen world. Now don't get me wrong, it won't always be hard. Sometimes it feels that way. <laughs> but sometimes the race will feel almost effortless, like you've got the wind at your back and you could just run forever. But other times it's going to feel like we can hardly move. Like every step hurts. And like there are those things that happen in life where you have to remind yourself to breathe. We may think that it's then in those difficulties that we need to be reminded and encouraged to persevere. But truly it is all day, every day, rain or shine that we need this encouragement. We need to be encouraged to press on. In fact, it may be the personal peace and affluence that comes in those times when things are really easy that's the biggest threat of all because it's in those times that we think we've got this doped and we lose sight of Christ thinking we can do it all on our own. In our current American culture, it's very easy for us to grow comfortable in our faith and forget how much is at stake in this race that we run. Making it to the finish line will take more effort and trust on our parts than we might have considered going in. Our integrity, our witness, and even our lives are at stake. 
But the reward at the end of the race, the life that awaits us, will be completely worth whatever effort and struggle it takes for us to get there. So as children of God, how did we come to participate in this race to begin with? Two of my sons, when they were young teenagers, played baseball on a traveling team. This team was by invitation only. So they were called, if you will, to play baseball. When they were called, when they received that call, and when they responded to it, they weren't just playing ball for themselves. They were playing for something bigger. They were playing for their team and their city. In much the same way, God, in his mercy and kindness, has given us, given us a call. And it's a call that trumps all earthly calls. Hebrews 3.1 refers to it as a heavenly calling. So we run this race at God's bidding. God has called us to it. And at the risk of sounding like a church billboard, he has called us to it, and he will see us through it. <laughs> Truly. Our gracious God that has called us to run this race will help us to do just that. That Saturday session, so we'll save that. For now, I want you to know that he calls us to this race not only as his children, but as Paul refers to us in 2 Corinthians 5.20, ambassadors for Christ. We are his representatives here on earth. We run at his bidding and for his pleasure. Just like my sons were representing their team and their city when they played ball, we represent our God and Savior when we run this race. We run for his glory, not for our own. And remembering that can help us to get back up and keep running when we stumble along the way. Many of the saints that we read about in scripture did just that. They stumbled along the way. Some of them outright face-planted. But those who endured to the end had one thing in common. They didn't stay on the ground when they fell. They got back up. Some tripped over their own sin and others got their feet entangled by the trials of life. But they got back up and they kept running. They endured much and their lives are an example to us today of the perseverance that we must have. The endurance that we need. Speaking of saints who have gone before, let's talk about Paul for a minute. Paul endured much in his race. Prison, beatings, ridicule, betrayal, all for the name of Christ. What motivated Paul to stay in the race? Was it the prize? Yes. Flip over to Philippians chapter 3. You might want to stick something in Hebrews because we'll come back there again. In this chapter, Paul is warning the Philippian church to watch out for those who would attribute their righteousness to works of the law. We might call them legalists, but in verse 2, Paul calls them dogs and evildoers. John MacArthur writes that Paul described their works as evil since any attempt to please God by one's own efforts and draw attention away from Christ's accomplished redemption is the worst kind of wickedness. These individuals would place their confidence and security in themselves. But on the contrary, Paul says that we, you and I, are to put no confidence in the flesh. He says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul then goes on to share why he could have confidence in the flesh had he chosen to. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Then in verses 8 through 11, Paul tells us that he counts all of that as rubbish or trash. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says that any reason he had for confidence in himself, it's all worthless. Compared to what he gained in knowing and being found in Christ. He says that he would do anything necessary to obtain the prize of being with Christ for eternity. Continuing in verse 12, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Paul would press on. He would persevere. He would endure. He was willing to suffer, to deny himself, and even to die in the name of Jesus as he waited to obtain the prize. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, straining forward, that's perseverance, to what lies ahead. So forgetting his former life with all of those accomplishments that he just mentioned in verses 5 and 6, and straining toward what lies ahead. What was it that lay ahead for Paul? What was it that he was straining toward? It was Christ. Christ is what Paul was straining toward, and Christ is what we strain toward as well. Think about that in terms of a race. Think about the starting line where all the runners are there and they're ready. They're waiting for the signal gun to sound. Their muscles are straining. Their focus is intent. They are completely dedicated to the race. Paul was like that. He, had, he, he was motivated. He had a clear goal and a clear vision. He knew that his path in the race was filled with obstacles. But he also knew that the prize was worth it. What was his goal? What was his, the prize that he was looking to? Verse 14 tells us, it says, <clears throat> I press on, again, he perseveres toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was called to the race when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And his goal in the race was the prize of another call. A call to Christ for all eternity. And he knew that that call was worth whatever it took to attain it. Paul encouraged the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9.24 to run the race in such a way as to win the prize. That prize is Jesus. It is the complete and utter joy of being with him for all eternity. And that is worth whatever it takes to attain it. 
Let's go back to Hebrews 12 and the exhortation for us to run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race, agona, hard-fought struggle or contest. But there's more here. We're called to run the race that is set before us. The Greek word that's translated here, that is set before, the word is prokamai, and it means to lie or place before, to set before, or to appoint. Other translations say the race marked out for us, or the race God has set before us. So we get a more complete picture of the idea that the author of Hebrews is getting at if we put all of this together. Think about it like this. This is a specific race with the course set up by a sovereign God who delineates the parameters of the race specifically for each one of us individually, just as he set the course of the cross for Christ. We don't get to make up our own course. And if we stray from the course that God has set, we will be disqualified. The course must be followed all the way to the end. And we are called to run our race. I'm called to run the race that God has set before me, the one he laid out for me. And the same is true for each one of you. You're not called to run my race. You might be thinking, wow, I'm really glad. <laughs> Nor am I called to run yours. During the 2016 Olympic Games, Bill Murray tweeted, Every Olympic event should include one average person competing for reference. <laughs> it is a laughable thought, but it's kind of interesting. I can't really imagine myself running along an Olympic, alongside an Olympic athlete. That would be humorous for sure. Mercifully and thankfully, that is not a race that I have been called to run. I could not do it. I am not physically equipped at this point for a race like that. God equips and sustains each one of us individually in different ways. Um, think of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. The master gave a different number of talents to each of his servants, each according to his ability. He gave to each individually, and he rewarded each individually according to what they did with what he had given them. Murray's tweet portrays the fact that we have no business trying to run somebody else's race. God has not equipped us for that. Just as the master gave differing amounts to each of his servants according to their abilities, God will give us each the grace and the help we need to run the race that he has called us to run, not the race he has laid out for someone else. God marks out our course for us. He tells us which lane to run in. There may be parts of our course that we don't like, and we may be prone to grumble and ask why, but the answer will always be because our sovereign God planned it this way. We will not be able to finish our race unless we are willing to submit our will to God's will for us. As believers in Christ, we are all runners. We run even now. We run a race that God has created for us, each of us. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon, and it will likely even include hurdles. We need to keep our eyes up, focused ahead. And there is motivation and encouragement for us in the scriptures, and that's what we're going to look at tomorrow morning in session two. This race has a finish line, and that is our goal. And there's a prize.
prize waiting for us on the other side. When we cross that line, we will stand face to face with Christ. And we will receive the prize of eternal life with him. We do not run for anything this earth has to offer. We run for him and we run to him. When that is more important to us than anything else, we will persevere. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 9.24 earlier, and it, Paul says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. So let us run. Let us run with endurance to finish our race. Let's pray. each one here to persevere, to keep running, 